Hey, everybody. A full episode with Mike Benz, who has recently gone super viral on the censorship industrial complex. You'll love this conversation. Email us, as always, freedom at charliekirk.com and subscribe to our podcast. Get involved with Turning Point USA at tpusa.com. That is tpusa.com. Start a high school or college chapter today at tpusa.com. Become a member. It's members.charliekirk.com. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Noble Gold Investments is the official gold sponsor of The Charlie Kirk Show a company that specializes in gold IRAs and physical delivery of precious metals. Learn how you could protect your wealth with Noble Gold Investments at noblegoldinvestments.com. That is noblegoldinvestments.com. It's where I buy all of my gold. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Mike, uh, welcome back. Mike, that was just kind of like a sterling performance. You're kind of doing the media circuit now. You're all over the place. And we have you for the full hour. And I think what was so powerful about this, and I'm going to try, I'm going to ask you to do, I know what you've been doing quite a lot, which is try to retell it the best you can. What was so powerful, though, is you went through a history of how, how free speech and the censorship industrial complex came to be with the internet and how the internet and advancement of social media actually outpaced the censorship industrial complex. And that in a moment in time, the internet was too free was too liberated, and the bad guys had to play catch-up. And that was 2016, obviously, with the election of Donald Trump. You say it a lot better than I do. Mike Benz, congrats on the virality. Walk us through it. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, the way that, that I sort of started the, the Tucker interview was, was with the story of free speech as an instrument of statecraft, because I do think it's, um, you know, the surprise when you see the presence of government agencies and intelligence services and the national security state and the full panoply of NGOs and um, and state-sponsored media organs all pressing on the censorship direction. I think it's instructive to start with the history of their role in free speech on the internet in the in the first place. Um, so you know, I, I can I can you know rehash that whole history, but I, but I do think it's it's useful first to understand that we started this. Uh, free speech industry on the internet uh, as a means to be able to con- to control the, the American empire and manage the American empire, uh, which I, I, want, I, I don't want to just retread everything that I, I said on the Tucker thing. So, so I, I, I think the thing that I think is most important to stress is you have you have the American empire as it started in 1898, right? You had the Spanish American war. We took the Philippines. Uh, we, we, you know, took, we took Cuba effectively. We had a, uh, we had a Monroe doctrine from the 1823 up, uh, you, know, you know, as soon as America essentially was, was founded within just a couple of decades where we sought to essentially acquire territorial and political control over Latin America and South America. And we were a global empire. You know, a, uh, an empire whose agriculture 
and whose oil and gas re uh, relied primarily on foreign countries. And the issue is, is in, a, in the big, bad, mean world of geopolitics, resource nationalism is real. And you need a, a full-throated, powerful, brass-knuckled national security state and foreign policy establishment in order to coerce other governments to giving your country what you want from their resources. So if, a, if we have oil and gas interests or agriculture interests or, or supply line interests or, or, or rare earth mineral interests in, in another country, and that country has, a, has an opposition group rising to power that, uh, that, that is uh, campaigning on its own nationalism or its own socialism, that is, it's either uh, depriving U.S. stakeholders or NATO stakeholders of those resources because of their... Um, you know, because they're nationalists or because they are socialist communists, they want to have their own national champions uh, hold those interests instead of ours. We have a department of dirty tricks that we roll out to deal with that government, uh, to regime change it, to throw to uh, to back a different group to rise to power who will do what we say, uh, or to be able to um, uh, apply different destabilization techniques in order to uh, acquire the leverage uh, to get what we want. And we entrusted those Department of Dirty Tricks powers to our national security state, to our Pentagon, to our CIA, to our State Department. And those agencies are all supposed to be completely foreign-facing. They're not supposed to be able to do squat on U.S. soil or against U.S. citizens. Uh, and this was a doctrine that was all you know, laid out in 1948 when George Kennan, the CIA's godfather, penned the inauguration of organized political warfare. You can find that in the CIA reading room. Or, uh, or the Wilson Center, or anywhere else it's hosted online. But it was a it was a paper written right after we had rigged the Italian election in 1948, where you know the Godfather of the CIA just 12 days after says, "Hey, we just rigged the Italian election. We were stuffing ballot boxes, and we uh, we played a lot of dirty tricks. We were working with the mob. We did all this nasty stuff. But hey, we need to do this if we want to win the American century. We need to inaugurate a policy of organized political warfare." And conduct that on every plot of earth uh, in the world, or else the Bolsheviks will, and will lose to the Bolsheviks. And so that was the argument in 1948 to establish this national security state soft power projection mechanism that would then go on to, you know, be put on steroids when the internet was was privatized. Uh, and I, I can I can keep going through this. Uh, I know I'm sort of coming at it from a slightly different angle. But... Yeah, the 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 part I want to isolate here, and I. Without having to make you rehash the whole thing, which is, you know, kind of like asking, you know, Jordan to rehash, you know, game six, because uh, it was just such a great performance with you and Tucker. I don't want to ask you to redo that, but just talk about 2016 and how everything changed, about how when Donald Trump was elected, there was some semblance of a free and open Internet. And there was then the scrambling to institutionalize mass censorship. And then we'll go through some of the specifics. Yeah, so. You know, it did. I think the point that I tried to stress on, on on the Tucker segment is is that it did start a little bit before 2016, and 2016 was kind of the breaking point. You know, I mean, it really started in 2014 Crimea. It started with the 2014 Ukraine coup and the fact that we had poured five billion dollars worth of State Department, USAID, and National Endowment for Democracy funding into that coup, only to have the half the country fall out of our grasp when Eastern Ukraine broke off in Crimea, uh, had in their own referendum, a, a uh, independent vote to join the Russian Federation instead of NATO. 
And it was that moment that the hybrid warfare doctrine was rolled out by NATO and the Pentagon, which, which uh, the doctrine of hybrid warfare is the idea that, that modern warfare is no longer uh, about tanks, it's about tweets. And the biggest threat to, uh, to, to NATO and to the democratic institutions that it protects is uh, people reading the wrong media sources, developing the wrong politics, and voting NATO stakeholders uh, out of out of out of power of their own accord, and so this was this gave rise to the so-called "from tanks to tweets" doctrine at NATO, and there was this then national security state um, focus not just on positive saturation of propaganda, which had been the way that information operations and and social uh, soft power projection in the information space had been done primarily for. 70, 80 years. There were incidents of the CIA, you know, asking, uh, you know, the the Washington Post to kill a story about the Cuban Missile Crisis during the Kennedy administration. Those types of censorship of of stories absolutely did occur, but they were one off and they couldn't happen at scale. Mm -hmm. You couldn't reach into the dinner table of tens of millions of of homes and just turn off someone's vocal cords, which is basically the equivalent of censoring tens of millions of tweets, YouTube videos and Facebook. That power never existed. And it, and it began to be created after 2014, the counter coup in Ukraine, because of a perception that the U.S. was losing its information advantage in Central and Eastern Europe. At the time, Germany was in the process of, of doubling down on its energy relations with Russia. Now, Germany is the industrial base of Europe. It's uh, it's it's you know, the power the economic powerhouse yes. of the EU. And, and we had been pursuing about 15 years of a coercive, uh, essentially sanctions policy against EU member states who were dependent on U.S. Uh, uh, security assistance and, and monetary aid. Who can you trust? Government leaders repeatedly fail us. Self-appointed experts have led us astray. Distrust in so-called authorities is spreading like a bad cold and we can't quite shake it. But you're not as powerless as they'd like you to believe. When there's no one to depend on, it's time to rely on yourself. Not sure where to start? Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Grab a four-week emergency food kit from MyPatriotSupply for $60 off. MyPatriotSupply has helped millions of American families reach self-reliance. These food kits offer meals, drinks, and snacks that provide over 2,000 calories every single day. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and protect your future with as many kits as you need. These kits ship fast, free, and arrive in unmarked boxes with My Patriot Supply. When you order by 3 p.m., your food kits will ship that same day. Save $60 per kit at MyPatriotSupply.com. That is MyPatriotSupply.com. you got to check it out right now, MyPatriotSupply.com. Mike, please continue. Yeah, so the thing I, I want to impress is this 2016 censorship industry coming home to the U.S. did not just spawn out of nowhere. Right. You had you had three years, essentially, uh, between the 2014 counter coup and the election of, of Donald Trump, where you had the entirety of NATO. You had the Pentagon, the State Department, the CIA. You had you know, the UK Ministry of Defense, the UK Foreign Office, uh, the, the whole MI6 squad, Brussels, all of them beginning to invest in the architecture of Internet censorship. And this is primarily done through through two modalities. The first was the creation of. AI censorship capacities to be able to monitor speech online in a proactive way rather than in a reactive whack-a-mole way. And this is a technique called natural language processing. It uses machine learning to create these 
topographical maps of influence online, uh, which uh, which started to be funded in 2014, 2015, and then would come to be used uh, to create the system we live under currently of automated censorship. You know, over 99% of all speech violations uh, are, are done through this exact technique, which was created by our own military. Uh, and it, it was, it was the, before 2016, the only automated censorship that was done on the internet was when uh, AI was able to detect things like spam or, or child pornography. Uh, but that, that is, they've now developed these new complex, you know, AI training models that uh, that allow you to essentially dissect any narrative or community or political movement and then censor at scale. So that began its development in 2014. And the other part was the, the institutional infrastructure, the connective tissue between the Pentagon, State Department, sort of CIA faction, and the tech media platforms themselves. And this was done through the creation of things like NATO centers of excellence, and then and then when uh, it, you know it's that that basically extended from Germany through through Ukraine and Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. When Brexit happened in June 2016, it was said to be sort of you know this hybrid warfare doctrine is now affecting Western Europe, and uh, and then you know five months later when Trump won, it was the it was the final straw, and for, uh, from that point forward. You had this immediately right out the gate, right in tandem with Russiagate. You had this same censorship architecture that was rolled out in Central and Eastern Europe, again, for the reasons of Russiagate related reasons. Right. They said it was basically Russian influence, um, influencing hearts and minds in uh, you know from Germany uh, through Ukraine. That was the reason that NATO was beginning to lose elections and was losing control over the population in terms of who people were voting for and what their national identity was. And so they took that exact same predicate of Russiagate to usher this all home. And from 2016 through 2018, actually through summer of 2019, the initial censorship architecture in the U.S., that was all spearheaded by Pentagon, CIA, State Department folks, as well as their you know, organized goon squad of, of NGOs and university centers who were all on their payroll, were did this censorship domestically through uh, through a through a foreign predicate, right? Through through saying, well, our national security and and but it wasn't until Mueller collapsed on the stand in in June 20, uh, 2019 and Russiagate died that they were really at this crossroads of saying, damn, we don't have this predicate anymore to say it's all Russian bots and trolls. So, Mike, I remember during four years ago, the spring of 2020, it feels like it just hasn't ended. It was like 15 days or so to the spread, slow the spread till today. It's just been nonstop chaos. I remember I tweeted out something that was favorable about hydroxychloroquine. And I was very popular on Twitter then. Uh, one of, this, was pr- this was still like kind of when, before January 6th. And I'll never forget, I lost access to my Twitter account. It was the first time that ever happened. And they said, because you're spreading disinformation when it came to public health. And what I said was not incorrect. I cited a study that hydroxychloroquine could be potentially helpful in malarial and anti, you know, as an antiviral. And Twitter came down with me. And the next, you know, the New York Times came after me and wrote an article saying that I'm spreading medical disinformation. So I want you to riff on that, but I really want you to emphasize COVID and how they used censorship as a tool to shut up different opinions when it came to medicine. 
Yeah, well, you were caught up in the Pentagon's crosshairs. You know, the, the, the censorship operation of COVID started with Pentagon-funded censorship gargoyles. I'll give you, the, you know, some of the craziest examples here. Um, you know, without, without weighing too deeply into you know, the, the, the strange administration of the whole uh, uh, COVID uh, you know, warp speed with the Pentagon and the pretty strange role of the CIA in all of this, which I believe is still currently under investigation by the, the Jim Jordan committee. But you know, the, the first pass censorship institutions who, who made it their mission and who received their paychecks professionally to censor anyone who talked about uh, COVID narratives in a way that was, was heterodox were all Pentagon-funded institutions. They were groups like Graphica. So Graphica is a group that has gotten over $7 million of Pentagon grant funding, uh, grants and contracts from, from the DOD. They got their start as part of what was known as, what's still known as, is the Pentagon's Minerva Initiative, which is the Psychological Operations Research Center for the Pentagon. When the Pentagon, when the Pentagon wants to run psyops, they turn to their their institutional sort of you know research uh, folks who you know basically pitch and, and put together you know the social science data for doing it doing it this way or that way. And this very group, Graphica, which came came right out of the Minerva Initiative at the Pentagon for doing psyops, and had previously gotten funding for things like you know mapping. Uh, you know, mapping the paramilitary group's social media activity and conflict zones that the CIA was involved in. In January 2020, COVID-19 was, was not even called COVID-19 yet. Uh, you know, it had, uh, the, the first pneumonia-like symptoms were, were detected in Wuhan on December 12th. So, and it was, so this is one month later. Graphica begins a full court press in tandem with the NATO Center of Excellence, the very institution I just described that was responsible for hybrid warfare uh, set up after the Crimea annexation in 2014 to be the internet censorship arm of NATO. So, so the Pentagon PSYOPs cell and the, and the NATO censorship arm came up in January 2020 within, within just less a month before, uh, after, after the pneumonia-like symptoms and before it was even called COVID-19 was just called the coronavirus at that, at that point. They began a systematic global mapping of every political group, every demographic in every NATO country, the U.S., uh, Canada, U.K., France, Italy, Germany, the, the whole shebang. They published, uh, they, they published a several dozen page uh, an initial preliminary report and then continued to get, uh, get funding from from the Pentagon, they, they would actually come to be one of the four corners of the Election Integrity Partnership for mail-in ballots, and then one of the four corners of, of the Virality Project for formally censoring, uh, uh, censoring COVID dissident speech as part of this syndicate with Stanford and University of Washington and the, and the Atlantic Council. But you know, this, you, your talk about hydroxychloroquine was... You had the you had the long arm of the Pentagon who was responsible for that first pass censorship. They well, mapped, I just, they I, I just want people to understand that that our military then was was suppressing an American citizen. I mean, is that not digital martial law? Hey, this is Charlie Kirk, and I know a lot of you have been suffering under the Biden economy. Recently school loan payments 
have been reinstated, and for many, it's adding thousands to their monthly expenses. My friends, Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian, they're amazing. They really helped me through a tough, tough situation recently. They've been excellent. They're ethical. They're just really great people. They're followers of Jesus Christ, and our worldviews are the same. I love them. And so please go to andrewandtodd.com. Interest rates are coming down, and they may be able to lower your overall payment. In fact, one of our team members said, Charlie, is it time to me to own a home. I sat down. I went to the numbers. I said, get in the owner game. Honestly, enough renting. You are burning your money renting. It might be a little bit more to own, but you're building equity. That's money you'll have for the rest of your life. Perhaps a reverse mortgage is a perfect solution. It's about expertise you could trust in times like this. I can't tell you how helpful they've been for me personally. They've just been excellent. Andrew and Todd, I'm honored to call them friends. We hang out when I go to Orange County together. Uh, they're really great. So say, Charlie sent me, 888-888-1172. That's 888-888-1172. They helped me through a mortgage situation recently that was super complex and moving pieces. And it was really, really tough. And other banks, by the way, wanted nothing to do with it. And they crushed it for me. 10 out of 10. AndrewandTodd.com. So check it out right now. AndrewandTodd.com. Yeah, so the, every single one of the major institutions that comprised the Virality Project were deeply involved in either the, the, the DOD or the CIA, which is one beast, right? I mean, the CIA is basically, it's, basically, you know, it's, it's, it's military intelligence. It's this military intelligence apparatus, which is kind of the Department of Dirty Tricks arm of the State Department. We, you know, as, as I described in the sort of first segment we did, you can think of the foreign policy establishment that we are up against as, you know, as essentially, you know, populist figures trying to reform corrupt institutions. You know, the, the, the thing we're up against is this three-legged stool of, of the foreign policy establishment, which is the State Department, the Defense Department, and the IC, the intelligence community. Those are where the Department of Dirty Tricks are located. That is, that is what's supposed to the stuff we can't do to U.S. citizens, the election rigging, the media rigging, the, um, you know, the, the psyops, all of that is that you, it's important to think of those as one entity. You know, it's, it, those jobs are interchangeable. If you work for the State Department, your next job could, it could just as easily be at the DOD or the CIA as it could be at state. Same thing with DOD. Next, it's completely interchangeable. So when I say CIA and DOD in this, in the, in, with respect to COVID censorship, you should just be thinking of it as the same blob, that three-legged you know, trifecta of, of state DOD and ISIS. And so all four groups that were part of the Virality Project, which were the subject of, you know, of the Missouri v. Biden Supreme Court case, which oral arguments start next month, the America First legal case, uh, you know, suing them on, on, on civil tort grounds, uh, they were they were the subject of multiple congressional investigations from the Jim Jordan Committee and the Dan Bishop Committee in the House, and they were also the major stars of the Twitter files uh, from uh, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger. This group called the Virality Project was comprised of four institutions: Graphica, which which we just talked about, the psyops arm of the Pentagon, the literal psyops arm, uh, the Atlanta Council, who we've talked about, you know, I think previously on several episodes of the show. The Atlanta Council had seven CIA directors on its board. Uh, a lot of people don't know that seven CIA directors are still alive, let alone all concentrate on the board of a group that was the top heavyweight for censoring COVID-19. Uh, they also get annual funding every year from all four corners of the U.S. military, the Navy, the Army, the Marines, and the Air Force. And they get funding from the annual funding from the State Department. And they get annual funding from CIA cutouts like the National Endowment for Democracy. So they were, they were one of the other entities who were the four entities involved in the Virality Project. By the way, Virality Project is a is a play on words. It's uh, 
referring to the virality of, of the COVID virus and the virality of misinformation about COVID online. And, and they had these vast sprawling reams of essentially tens of millions of dissident posts in four different categories, uh, including opposition to masks, uh, mandates, uh, uh, reputational uh, posts in, impugning Tony Fauci or Peter Daszak or other VIPs. And then they had a catch-all for conspiracy theories, such as the belief that hydro, hydroxychloroquine is, is uh, safe and effective. And, you know, but, but all of these were, were CIA or DOD intermediated. You know, the, the, the technical director for Stanford Internet Observatory, who was the, the third group there, was, was Renee DiResta, who started her career in the CIA. The, you know, her boss was Alex Stamos, who was, the, who was the chief security officer at Facebook, who worked directly with the Office of Director of National Intelligence, the group on top of the CIA and the intelligence community at Facebook for censoring Russian propaganda. And his boss at Stanford was Michael McBall, the U.S. ambassador to Russia under under uh, Obama, who was kicked out of Russia for you know authoring uh, full you know full reports on on how to run a successful color revolution there, and and you know and then the fourth entity, the University of Washington, with with Kate Starbird, three generations of military brass, and worked you know basically had worked with with uh, DARPA in, in the military for doing crisis informatics around uh, social media's role. In uh, in international crises, and then gets repurposed to censor COVID nineteen. So all four of the of the major groups responsible for censoring COVID nineteen came came straight out of DOD or CIA or or State Department, you know, foreign facing Department of Dirty Tricks squads. All of them, every single one. It's incredible, Mike. Foundation for Freedom Online. What is your website? foundationforfreedomonline.com and you can find me at, at Mike Ben Cyber on X. I post every day uh, uh, sort of bazooka style. So that's, uh, that's, that's the most accessible way. So Mike, I want to go through this, the timeline. So in 2014, Crimea caused NATO to realize tweets, not tanks, was now the power to turn world events. In 2016, we had Brexit and Trump, which led the foreign policy establishment and the domestic intel agencies to realize that nationalist and populist movements would have to be uh, countered like they used to fight Russia and Eastern Europe. 2020, we had COVID and Trump v. Biden. I wrote this down when I listened to your interview with Tucker. The two most censored events in history are the 2020 election and COVID. Can you elaborate? Is that correct? So the year of 2020 was the most censored year in the history of humanity. Yeah. Would you stand by hands that? Down, hands down, bar none. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's nothing that's, that's even come close, uh, e- even overseas. I mean, e- even China's great firewall and their, and, and their technical censorship operations are, are far slower and, and less, they, they don't have the level of rapid response units uh, and the, the institutional infrastructure that, that, was to, that was laid out for those two events. I mean, it's totally sprawling. It's, uh, you know, we have 60 university centers who have gotten funding for censorship of those events, federal government funding just by the National Science Foundation alone, not including DOD grants, not including State Department grants, not including the FBI and Justice Department grants, which which the the Biden administration has begun to do. 60 universities here in the U.S. have professional censorship centers getting funding uh, for those, for, for both of those, uh, both of those events, basically election disinformation and uh, and, and uh, public health misinformation. Now they also have expanded this into a wide range of other topics: climate censorship, immigration censorship, abortion censorship. I mean, when 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 they were so successful at doing this, 
after after COVID in the 2020 election, but before the political pushback that began in 2022, uh, when uh, when a whole cascade of of uh, you know free speech counteroffensive began began to become effective, uh, powered by things like Elon Musk's acquisition, the the craziness of the disinformation governance board, the turning over of the House uh, to Republicans to allow subpoena power and hearings, the the Twitter files, the the lawsuits. I mean, there was a whole cascade of things that um, that were that that happened later in time, right? But after uh, you know, between 2020 and 2022, uh, but you know, um, and during that that halcyon period for the censorship industry, to them, they they thought the sky was the limit that there were that this was now accepted by the American public and it was unchallengeable. In fact, the Harvard Misinformation Review even wrote a wrote a uh, an internal report for their proprietary censorship policy magazine uh, called you know the Harvard Misinformation Review, saying that that the, that the field of of censorship, the disinformation studies or disinformation, um, misinformation, you know, studies is what they they call it, the science of, of of censorship, was now quote too big to fail, and and it was in that sort of perception that there would never be any pushback by the American people. There would never be any pushback by Congress um, or, or by the press or, or by the social media platforms that they they planned to expand that infrastructure that they rolled out for the 2020 election and COVID to quote every sensitive policy issue. And that's a direct quote that I've got a dozen of these people saying on tape, almost like they're reading it from the same white paper. But the idea was, is anytime there's a sensitive policy discussion, <laughs> I mean, effectively, that 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 gets in the way of a Pentagon priority. We now have this inc- this incredible, incredible, perfect godlike tool when you combine the AI censorship capacities with a professional team to map the narratives in real time and work with the rapid response units to have the essentially CIA liaison office at Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube to be to in, to to just put these machine readable scripts into their AI for what narratives to censor and what communities it will micro target. And, and to be able to fine tune those up and down knob turns by uh, by ha- by having this uh, this architecture in place, they thought that this was going to be um, unchallenged and applicable to everything. And they did begin to do this in in um, in late 2021, early 2022. But it sort of got short circuited uh, by how politicized it all became once the revelations began to be uh, to, to go mainstream. The world is in flames and Bidenomics is a complete and total disaster, but it can't and won't ruin my day. Why? Because I start my day with a hot America first cup of blackout coffee. It's 100% America and 0% grift. Blackout coffee is 100% committed to conservative values. From sourcing the beans to the roasting process, customer support and shipping, they embody true American values and accept no compromise on taste or quality. Look, you got to check out right now blackoutcoffee.com slash charlie or use coupon code charlie for 20% off your first order. That is blackoutcoffee.com slash charlie. Be awake, not woke. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash charlie. Check it out. Promo code charlie. Mike, has anything been done to fix or defang this censorship industrial complex? And I want you to also mention the NGOs, the Aspen Institute and the outside 501c3s that act as uh, janissaries for the censorship uh, machineries and Leviathan's wishes. Yeah, well, I mean, so I I just laid out many of the things that have already been done. I, I mean, you can read... Uh, on my foundation's website at foundationforfreedomonline.com, we've got all the reports about how they're 
on their own panels. They're in a, they have been in a sort of panic until the, the ratification late last year of the EU Digital Services Act, uh, which is the new NATO censorship law, which they see as the Hail Mary to save themselves from the, the, the stalling of their momentum. That's maybe a, a sidebar issue you can return to if we have time. But as I mentioned, you know, we should take some heed that 2023 was the first year of victory against, uh, against censorship that we ever had. Uh, from, the, from the rise of the censorship industry from 2016 through 2022, it was one loss after another. It looked completely unchallengeable, insurmountable, uh, you know, too big a Goliath to take on. And then we had a, a serendipitous sequence of events between Elon Musk acquiring Twitter and, you know, all it takes is one little dam, you know, crack in the Titanic to, to sink the thing. If one free platform allows free speech, um, then suddenly, you know, the, the water comes rushing into, into the vessel. So you had Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter, uh, and, and just put, not to find a point on it, t- Twitter is the place for political thought leadership, and there's not even a close second in that respect, even though it has the lowest amount of monthly active users as measured against Facebook. You know, Instagram's got 2 billion. Uh, Facebook, YouTube is, is, far, is, is larger by traffic. You know, uh, it's the second largest, you know, most trafficked website after after Google, and it is sort of a social media. But there is a huge asymmetry with respect to Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube versus Twitter when it comes to po- with, uh, political narratives and the virality of political narratives, because 99% of people who watch YouTube are not YouTube creators. They don't actually, you can't retweet a YouTube video on platform. You need to go to Twitter to do that. And same thing with, with Facebook and Instagram. These are not primarily political organs. So you know, and it's I think Twitter is also the easiest to be able to map when it was an open when it was an open garden as opposed to a, a walled garden uh, before uh, Elon Musk changed that policy in the summer of 2023. It's much easier for these CIA funded, Pentagon funded censorship squads to be able to just get right into uh, how a narrative was spreading and micro target who exactly to censor and, and how to do that uh, in, in that pre period. So you had the Elon Musk sort of victories there. You had the legal victories with, you know, two great judgments at the, at the trial court and the appellate court level with the Missouri v. Biden case, which is directly suing every agency in the federal government for an injunction to prevent them from coordinating or pressuring platforms to censor. That is now before the Supreme Court riding on two major victories at the lower court level. You have the rise of institutions like America First Legal under Stephen Miller, who have filed multiple censorship lawsuits that have that have been extremely effective at being able to get documents and discovery and be able to you know uh, amplify in the in the in the in the public understanding of of the of the case being articulated. You have Ken Paxton, the state attorney general of Texas, now shepherding this new lawsuit against the State Department. You have the you have you know revelations and constant pressure from Jim Jordan's weaponization subcommittee, and don't underestimate. The power of that, even though these, I mean, what we're up against is so big that you, it is, it is, you can't think about things in terms of we're going to have this one little, you know, one, one weird trick to, to slay the, the CIA and, 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 and the, the Pentagon, which has $800 billion in, in funding uh, in this. That is, that is, that is, you're living in a dream world in that case, and you need to you just, I know it's painful to to stare directly into the sun and see the size of the beast you're up against, but you you need to in order to you need to go through your five stages of grief and get to the acceptance stage so that you can understand what victory actually looks like. Victory does not look like like 
you know, stopping these people altogether. We are way too far from that. You need to begin the process. You need momentum. You need coalition building. You need resilient networks. You need funding. You need all these. You need a public awareness. You need a whole of society freedom alliance to take on the whole of society censorship alliance. And that did not exist before 2023. And it, it is beginning to. And, and, you know, now the empire is, is striking back with this new NATO censorship law, which is existential and, and perhaps beyond the scope of this. But, but there, there has been a, a people should appreciate that, that the censorship industry is chastened right now after a string of losses they were not expecting. The I want to just touch on this briefly. You talked about mail-in ballots in the Tucker interview. Did they know that they were effectively rigging the election against Trump, therefore? Yeah. So they, 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 can, can you elaborate on that? I almost thought it would be funnier to leave that as a deadpan. But yes, I mean, they literally defined on tape, and my foundation has their all their confession videos clipped in a 10,000-word report we published in November 2022, where they literally, at the outset, defined Donald Trump himself. These are the people who have, have gotten millions of dollars in grant funding from the National Science Foundation for Censorship Work, and who were formally deputized. They were created by the Department of Homeland Security. That is, it was, they, they, they had to pitch meetings to, to create themselves as this entity, EIP, directly with the Department of Homeland Security uh, because of, you know, the topic we've covered, that how DHS came to acquire these powers, to use their proprietary domestic disinformation uh, switchboard in order to, uh, you know, to, to achieve this mass censorship. But they defined Donald Trump himself as, quote, the death star of disinformation. This is this is the, they were referee. They were refereeing free speech about the election while defining one of the two candidates as being the exact death star that they were trying to blow up. I mean, it's cartoonish. There's not a single person in their 120 person squad who was who was, you know, who, who was ideologically heterodox. It was a political hit job and they pulled it off. So, Mike, let me let me. See if we can get some forward facing thing. They're going to try the censorship campaign again in 24. How would they shut down Twitter or Elon Musk? Is it possible ahead of November? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's very nasty what they're turning to now. You know, it's, it's very similar as a parallel to what's happening with the Trump election, you know, or the, the, the Trump candidacy in 2024. You know, right now, Donald Trump is up in all seven battleground states. Polling shows he's actually winning with young people and Hispanics, which are two demos. He's never been above the real clear politics polling average ever. And it's right at that moment when in a fair fight, it would look like, you know, he would uh, he might be victorious where you have the escalation of things like four separate indictments, uh, breaking two and a half centuries of of precedent around not indicting presidents, uh, breaking that, uh, you know, to charge him for 700 years of uh, of prison and then, you know, having New York state itself uh, extend a statute of limitations on a totally insane fake rape charge that then, you know, results in a hundred million dollars in cumulative damages. Then you have this ruling by the state of New uh, by a, by a New York judge that he, that Trump has to just, you know, disgorge $400 million when even on the facts of the case, there was no one actually damaged because all all loans were, were repaid. This escalation of the stakes beyond um, the, the the traditional terms of engagement for hard nosed politics is is playing out now in the censorship industry space, in the sense that 
it used to be the case that you could make the argument that the straightforward path to victory was a, a persuasion game, and it was about getting the social media companies to stop censoring, and it was about you know getting governments maybe to stop putting their boot heel on the press of the, of the private sector to coerce that censorship. That is now changing because of, of the nastiness of the Biden State Department, and it's really, really nasty what's happening right now, which is there is this joint effort by the U.S. State Department, the U.K. Foreign Office, and, and NATO to create a a legal ban on dissident speech. And this this was something that began, I may have described this in the Tucker segment, but you know, I, think I, when, I think I went through what, you know, what I call the Dirty Diplomats Roadshow, which was this, this international roadshow that was done by State Department exiles of the Obama administration uh, after they were all expecting promotions to the National Security Council when Hillary Clinton, the former Secretary of State, won the presidency, but they were all unceremoniously fired when Donald Trump shockingly won that day. And they, they took their special set of skills, which is, which is getting European regulators to, um, to pass laws in Europe. That's, that's what their job is. That was what my former job was too, when I was at, at state, but you know, th- this was the same group that, that whose, whose job was getting NATO member states, getting European Union states to pass sanctions on Russia. What I'm talking about here is something that, that I call the transatlantic flank attack. And it is and it is really the most existential threat to the internet right now at, at the strategic level, which which is you had something, you know, transatlantic flank attack 1.0 is what I was describing, which is how how the censorship architecture really came back to the US. What we talked in the beginning about how the Pentagon and the CIA and the State Department were initially doing this. In, Germ- in Germany and Ukraine and in the Baltics, and and then it uh, then it came to the UK after Brexit, and then it came to the US, and how that actually came to the US uh, was on the back of a series of EU regulations that were essentially coerced by uh, and, and and spearheaded by US State Department uh, folks who blamed uh, the rise of alternative media for Donald Trump's election in 2016. And saw a commonality with their pro-EU political class in Europe from from a comparable threat in Europe uh, uh, that that the MAGA movement posed to, to US. You know, you had the Brexit movement in UK. You had Marine Le Pen's movement in France. So, so they, you know, they made the arguments about Brexit or anti-NATO sentiment in France. Matteo Savini in Italy, the you know, Grexit in Germany and Spags in Spain and Grexit in Greece. And so all of the, you know, basically the U.S. State Department exiles who are now back in power with the, the Biden administration took this special set of skills around getting European regulators to pass new laws, just as they did after Crimea in 2014. They all passed, you know, um, bite themselves in the leg sanctions on themselves to cut themselves off from cheap Russian energy to sanction Russia over the Crimea annexation in 2014. They ran it back in 2017 to do the same roadshow, but instead of for sanctions, for censorship. And they went about in the UK and, and uh, you know, spearheaded what is now called the online harms bill. They went, they went to Germany and they spearheaded something which was called NetsDG. And, uh, and, and that was really what, what forced uh, so much of US censorship starting in, in late 2017, because it forced US tech companies to adopt AI censorship as a proactive matter in order to comply with German law and effectively to comply with EU law because Germany is 
you know, is the economic base of, of, of Europe. And, and because they were forced to hire all those new content moderators anyway, and to install all this technology, it wasn't a huge, a huge cost for them to then simply apply the same speech standards back here in the U.S., you know, and at the time, there was a lot of you know, press about, oh, the U.S. is on a collision course with Europe about the First Amendment versus these new norms and standards in Europe after the 2016 election. But, you know, the side of that the American people isn't, aren't really privy to is the role of our own U.S. state. And Europe didn't make that decision by itself. Uh, you know, there are many, many member states of the EU uh, who occupy high positions in parliament or the executive suite there that can't go to the bathroom in their own homes at 5 a.m. without uh, getting a, approval from a State Department diplomat somewhere. I mean, many of these countries are still basically, you know, subject to the Marshall Plan reconstruction, if you will, because they're so reliant on the U.S. for favors that they will, uh, they, they, they're they not exactly making up their own minds. And it was, it was our own blob apparatus that was pressuring them to do that in 2017. And they are back at it now with a new trick called the EU Digital Services Act, which you should not think of it as an EU thing. You should think of it as a NATO thing because it is the NATO military arm, which is putting its thumb on that press. And, and it, that extends the hate speech violations of, of the European uh, uh, censorship laws into a new category called disinformation, which now does not even, you know, they were mass censoring right-wing populist groups because of their opposition to immigrant, uh, you know, mass immigration in Europe you know, after the Gaddafi assassination, you know, there was this mi- there was this migrant influx that created this right wing populist surge in Europe. But you could still you you couldn't argue that you know simply supporting a political party was an act of hate speech. You had to go through proxies with this disinformation law. It is now you know that there are legal hate speech laws in in the EU. It sort of does make sense if you if you don't have a First Amendment and you have a legal ban on hate speech to have some compliance requirement. For social media companies operate there, operating there not to break the law. But that didn't extend to this disinformation. information. Now it does. And, and the implications of that are that Twitter is now going to be forced by NATO unless they can, unless the State Department protects them. And this is the, this is the killer shot because the State Department, the only way to stop that is if U.S. diplomacy puts its elbow in the mix and says, you know what? You pass this law, you're cut off from USA. Well, that's you're not, that, that, not going to happen with Joe Biden. They'd love to crush it. And it's Twitter. the opposite because it's this Biden administration that yes. wanted them to do this and pressured them to do this. Mike, excellent work. Thank you so much. Check out Mike Benz on social media and support Foundation for Freedom Online. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Email us as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Thanks so much for listening and God bless. For more on many of these stories and news you can trust, go to charliekirk.com.